Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you once again for joining us uh, as we continue discussing the general theme of knowledge and reason in Islam and where we have been for the past few sessions uh, discussing a little bit more closely the conditions which would make knowledge Islamic and we said that there are two main conditions the first one being the intention with which we are approaching and acquiring the knowledge and the second one is action so we are still discussing the first of these conditions, the condition of the intention or the sincerity of the intention with which we approach and acquire knowledge. So today, inshallah, we will continue where we left off. And uh, given the amount of time that we have, we will uh, pursue the topic uh, a little bit more broadly than we have been until now. That is to say, looking at intention and sincerity a little bit more broadly than just what we've been doing is only looking at them from the point of view of knowledge specifically. Now we want to expand this way of looking at intention and sincerity to looking at how Islam approaches these notions in general, not specifically related to knowledge. So everything we've said, as you may have noticed, was specifically related to knowledge. Now we want to expand it. Once we are done with uh, two hadith that we promised that we would go through very quickly, uh, as both of them, I think, if we were to take the time to really reflect upon them and uh, analyze them, we would see that they bring together a lot of the notions that we have been talking about, uh, specifically under the headings of, of intention, uh, and the reason why some people may want to acquire knowledge as opposed to others. And once those are done, then we will move to the slightly more extended or broader view of intention and sincerity in Islam. So the two uh, reports or the two narrations that we wanted to look at a little bit more closely today to kind of wrap up the first more specialized version uh, of this topic come to us from Nahj al-Balagha. Uh, the first one is uh, the uh, part from Nahj al-Balagha, the sermon. Uh, actually, the first one will start with uh, the short saying of Imam Ali alayhi salam at the very end of Nahj al-Balagha, uh, number 147. Uh, a few things to keep in mind. This entire discussion, very short passage from Imam Ali alayhi salam uh, in Nahj al-Balagha, uh, is a discussion uh, or a quick saying you can say a short discussion between Imam Ali salam and Kumail ibn Ziyad al-Nakhai uh, one of the closest companions of Imam Ali salam and in this one specifically you see that the entire discussion centered around uh, knowledge uh, and can be looked at from a number of, of different uh, angles uh, we're not going to be spending too much time commenting on it. Uh, I thought that I would uh, leave it with you. Inshallah, a lot of the notions are now clear. 
uh, and uh, you know it would take us a long time if we wanted to stop at every word and every notion in these uh, types of uh, narrations or sermons um, inshallah when we will uh, move along in our discussion on knowledge and action we're going to come back to this you will notice that there will be some mentions in here of different types of people who carry knowledge and this will mean that um, uh, it will bring us to the discussion about not only the different people who carry knowledge different types of people uh, what we're focusing on right now is the different reasons why anyone would learn knowledge we're talking about intention and sincerity but obviously once we say there are people who are carrying the knowledge then this brings us to the discussion of there might be people who are going to become the carriers, therefore those who spread the knowledge, the teachers of knowledge. So inshallah we'll come back to this discussion later when we talk about the different roles that together will help us create what will amount to a knowledge community or a knowledge society in which you have the spreading of knowledge and in which you have those who learn and those who teach. Uh, so inshallah we'll come back to that uh, later in the series. So on with the uh, first uh, report, uh, and we're not going to go through every section, we're going to skip a few, but here Imam Ali السلام, he begins by saying to Kumail, Ya Kumail, Halaka Khuzanul Amwal Wahum Ahya. O Kumail, those who amass wealth, those who uh, spend their entire existence pursuing money, they are dead, even though they may be living. So even while these people who spend their entire existence pursuing money, they might be living biologically, the truth is they are already dead. While those endowed with knowledge, and those who are endowed with knowledge, they will remain as long as the world lives. And so if you go back to the discussions we had about the nature of reason or rationality and the nature of knowledge, uh, and how knowledge is, in the words of Imam Ali السلام, when he would say, Al-ilmu nur or Al-ilmu hayat, uh, there, this is entirely coherent with those notions. And this links back to the discussions that we had about our value as a human being. What gives us, what grants us our humanity? And certainly, if your entire existence is just about pursuing material things and possessions and wealth, this is not going to contribute to your humanity in any shape or form. And therefore, as a human being, you're not really alive. This is the extent to which you're alive. Your, your living or your life in this world uh, has to equate to what you are and who you are as a human being, not just biologically. Imam Ali continues with the sermon or the, the discussion. He says, A'yanuhum mafquda. When the Imam talks about those who are carrying the knowledge, he says, sometimes those who carry the knowledge, so first of all, he said that they are going to remain alive even though they are dead. Obviously, these people will die as well. But because they are carrying the knowledge, they are eternalized because of what they carry. They are linking to something much greater than they are, and that thing never dies. Right? Because they carry knowledge. So if you look at them, you see that their bodies are missing. 
the external entity is missing, has gone absent. وَأَمْثَالُهُمْ فِي الْقُلُوبِ مَوْجُودَةً But their figures or their image or their thoughts uh, are alive in the minds or in the hearts. وَأَمْثَالُهُمْ فِي الْقُلُوبِ مَوْجُودَةً And then he pointed to his chest, Imam Ali alayhi salam, أَشَارَ بِيَدِهِ إِلَى صَدْرِهِ وَقَالْ هَا إِنَّهَا هُنَا لَعِلْمًا Indeed, in within here or in here, pointing to his own chest, Imam Ali alayhi salam, he said, there lies an abundant knowledge. لَوْ أَصَبْتُ لَهُ If only I could find people who would carry this knowledge, then I would certainly spread it. So the Imam here is saying this as though he's saying how unfortunate that there is so much knowledge to share, but so few that will carry, who are worthy of carrying this type of knowledge. And then he says, and this is where it gets a little bit more relevant for us. He says, Bella, yes, I did find such a one who is interested in carrying the knowledge that I have. أَصَبْتُ لَقِنًا غَيْرَ مَأْمُونٍ عَلَيْهِ so, I at le- uh, uh, indeed, I have found one. But what's their description? Laqinan is someone who is uh, a fast learner, who is good at talking, but laqinan, asabtu laqinan, ghayra ma'amunin alayh. But who cannot be entrusted, who will not be trustworthy to carry this knowledge. Ghayra ma'amunin alayh. He will learn the knowledge quickly. He will be able to learn it and to repeat it. Right? So, a fast learner, but one who could not be relied upon or entrusted with it. Musta'milan alat dini Who is going to be using religion and faith and the knowledge that I give him as an instrument for worldly gains, for this world. In previous narrations, we saw. The word istitala, uh, mustatilan, right? Here it's mustadhiran. He wants to domineer. He wants to be uh, impose himself on others. Mustadhiran ibadah. So domineering over people through the favors that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon him. And this is a quick hint here that we have to view this type of knowledge that the Imam is talking about as something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted us, has brought our way, right? He, the Imam makes a point to highlight this, and we will see that in the narrations, inshallah, as we go through them. So that you never think that this is kind of your the result of your own effort, and that anyone can have access to these things. No, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is bestowing this upon you as a favor. So here the Imam is saying, so instead of thanking God and using it as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to use the favors he gives you, this person is using it to domineer over people, to arrogantly or to uh, impose himself upon others without right. And to domineer, once again, because it continues, with the arguments that he has been given, with the ability to refute, with the ability to discuss with these hujaj ala awliya'ah and to go domineer over the saints of Allah or those that may be considered the more devout servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala depending on how awliya is interpreted here the friends of God to go domineer over those people to go overtake them with now the knowledge that 
he is equipped with this person is now carrying or another one or one there are people who are obedient who are amenable you can bring them to obey those who carry the truth but what's, so what's the issue with those people so there are people who are willing to go follow those who carry the truth that, that part is great but the problem with them the Imam says they have no insight they have no ability they have no basira so they are really good at following blindly even though they may be following those who are carrying the truth why? because they're willing to follow anyone now they happen to be carrying the truth but it's not because they know what they're doing they just happen to be, you know, generally good people, always willing to follow. And if they think this is generally the truth, they will follow it. But it's not because they are certain and they have a good rationale and a justification and an argument and a good reason for choosing this person over another or this truth over another. Right? So the Imam here is complaining about those people. He says, those people are going to be interested in learning the knowledge I have. But they're not worthy of carrying this knowledge. Why? The first person is because they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. The second person is because they lack insight. They do not look into things. They take things at a superficial level. They're very simple in their reasoning. And they're very simple in how they approach things. And so, as a result, لَا بَصِيرَةَ لَهُ فِي أَحْنَائِهِ You see someone who is devoid of any insight uh, in their heart or, or between their sides mm-hmm. as soon as there is a shubha as soon as there is an ambiguity as soon as there is a test or tribulation then doubts are sparked within their heart and therefore they don't know what they're doing if they had solid understanding then it's not because there is a doubt or a question that suddenly I'm going to be doubting everything and perhaps I change sides. As we saw, the Imam when he's talking about this, of course there is a socio-political reality that the Imam is living and this is referring to it, but this is always there, right? This is always happening and these types of people that, that the Imam is describing are always there. Inshallah, the first category does not apply to us in general. But the second one, we may easily fall into it. We become people who are happily following the truth. Whoever says, I am carrying the truth, I'm happy to become an obedient of that person. Yeah, but here the Imam says, this is maybe not good enough. You need basira. You need to be able to distinguish. You need to be able to analyze. You need to be able to criticize, to look at things critically and say, why am I doing this? Why am I following this person? Why am I following this truth? What makes, it, what makes this truth? as opposed to another one. What is this, the distinction? Am I doing this based on a firm foundation that I have? Because if I'm not, then the Imam says, this is when the, the smallest of objections is going to entirely shake the entire foundation. And you see the doubts spark, right? At the first sign of trouble, at the first sign of ambiguity, the doubts are sparked in their heart. The Imam continues and he says, Ala, la da, wa la dak. 
So he was saying, I'm looking for someone to carry the knowledge that is in here. And yes, I have found. And then he described these two types of people. So after this, he says, so neither this one nor that one can carry the knowledge that I have. Oh, and now he's going to add yet another category of people that the Imam has encountered. He says, Oh, manhuman billadda. Manhum is someone who, who has a ravenous appetite. Someone who never has enough. He's drooling over things, right? So, manhuman billadda. He has a ravening, ravenous appetite for pleasures. Okay? Salisul qiyadati lishahwa who is easily led to meet their, or to please their, or to satisfy their desires. Or someone who is infatuated with collecting and amassing and hoarding wealth. Okay, so the Imam is now describing the different types of people. There's a first category that the Imam talked about. Those are learning the knowledge so we saw this is a slightly more expanded version of the hadith, right? We encountered all of this. People who learn so that you gain a position of authority and respect and nobility and prestige and so on and so forth, a position of leadership. Another group are those who learn but they do not have the aql that goes with the ilm. So they're unable to use it to its full potential and they can be led easily left and right. Now the Imam is talking about the people who are simply the slaves of this world, the slaves of their own desires, the slaves of material things. So he says, uh, So another man of a ravenous appetite uh, for pleasures, easily led to desires, or one who is infatuated with hoarding, collecting, amassing money, wealth, those people can, neither one of them, Laysa, can ever be considered a caretaker of religion in any way. And this knowledge that I want to give them is religious knowledge. The nearest example of these, the closest example I can find, the Imam says of these, Al-An'am basically means wandering or loose cattle. Okay, animals that have gone lost or that are simply wandering in the open fields. An'am sa'ima. So he says these people, the closest example that I have to them is that they are like wandering cattle, loose cattle. كَذَلِكَ يَمُوتُ الْعِلْمُ بِمَوْتِ حَامِلِيهِ And thus, this is the way that knowledge dies as those who bear it, as those who carry it, die away. So he basically says, when I will leave this world, because I have not been able to find those who carry this knowledge, as I leave this world, so will the knowledge leave with me. And so, so will the knowledge die, because there are not enough people who carry this knowledge. Okay, so he's giving us, there's a lot that we can take out of this short discussion between Imam Ali السلام, and Kumail, but in short, so that we don't spend too much time on it, uh, I thought that I would just share it with you and you can go back and think about it and reflect and see what applies and what doesn't. So as we said, this is uh, in the short sayings of Imam Ali السلام, at the end of Nahj al-Balagha, number 147. The second hadith or the second sermon that we wanted to look at today uh, is 
in Nahj al-Balagha, in the sermons of Imam Ali alayhi salam, this one, a sermon, well known as well. Uh, this is sermon number 87 in Nahj al-Balagha. And again, we are not looking at the entire sermon. We're only taking parts that uh, are more relevant. Uh, otherwise, you can go back and take a closer look. Uh, and again, this is, I think, a sermon to which we will come back in the future and we'll spend a bit more time on some of its parts. This is just so that, you know, we put it out there, as I said, inshallah, you see how it brings together a lot of the things that we've been talking about until now. So the Imam alayhi salam says, Ibadallah, inna min ahabbi ibadillahi ilayh, abdan a'anahullahu ala nafsih. O servants of Allah, he's obviously the Imam is standing on the pulpit delivering a, ser a sermon. He says, O servants of God, the most beloved of God's servants to him is he whom God has given power over himself. So the Imam begins the discussion with the notion of discipline, right? He's saying someone who has power over himself, he has, he's not a slave to himself. This is truly someone who is very close to the love of God. This is one of the people that God loves the most, someone who shows God that they have discipline. Okay, and so this is a cause and consequence at the same time. You show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you have discipline, Allah will help you have more discipline. Right, so that it is a cause and it is a consequence. Inshallah, in the future we'll talk more about that. In other words, someone who has this discipline over themselves. Then we skip uh, a little bit and then he says, He describes these people. How are they? Contrast that with what we said in the earlier one and the earlier uh, saying of Imam Ali alayhi salam, that type of person uh, that is going to uh, be surrounded, be drowning in doubts the moment they encounter any ambiguity. This person in, in here, Imam Ali alayhi salam says, says this person that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves and they have discipline, فَهُوَ مِنَ الْيَقِينَ in their level of conviction, عَلَى مِثْلِ ضَوْءِ الشَّمْسِ it is as though uh, their level of conviction is as clear or as bright as the light of the sun. So there is no ambiguity around it. There is no doubts around it. He knows exactly what he's looking at. A little bit later, the Imam starts describing these people. I'm just taking some extracts here. He says, Musbahu Volumat. He is the lamp in darkness. Kashafu Rashawat or Ashawat. Al Ashwa is when you throw something, you know, a shot in the dark. Al Ashwa is just a darkness. So Kashafu Ashawat is someone who is a dispeller or a remover or someone who clarifies, you know, these shots in the dark. Or Rashawa, then someone who removes veils. Al-Ghashawa or Rashwa is a veil. Miftahu Mubhamat, he's a key to things that are obscure. Dafa'u Mu'adilat, someone who is going to remove complexities, difficulties. Dalilu Falawat, Falawat are open lands where it's very easy for people who are traveling to get lost. So this person is a Dalil, he's like a guide that you hire to be able to travel in these open spaces. The Imam is giving some descriptions here. When this person talks, when this person speaks, يفهم. he makes things clearer, not more complicated. Right? He doesn't lose you in all sorts of uh, complexities that are not required. 
And when they stay silent, this person, when he stays silent or she stays silent, this person is going to remain safe. From what? It means that their silence is based on wisdom. They will not commit mistakes, they will not commit errors, they will not commit sins. These are different categories in which we stop being safe, remaining safe, right? So you may be always, there's an internal drive, something pushing you from the inside when you carry the knowledge that you want to talk, you have an opinion about things, you want to speak up, you want to give your opinion about everything because you know about it. But it doesn't mean that just because you have the knowledge that you should be talking and giving opinions about everything that is happening. There's a time to talk and there's a time to stay quiet. So the Imam is saying this person has that wisdom. This is the, the punchline here. This person, one of their descriptions or the reason why they were able to become this person, this person has purified themselves or has worked with a sincere intention for the sake of God. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in return, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has selected this person, has exclusively chosen, chosen this person for this type of knowledge, for this type of insight, and so on and so forth. So this person becomes, a ma'dan is like a source, right? Ma'dan is sometimes referred to the thing that you extract from the source or it's referred to the source itself. Okay, so you, for instance, you, you have a mine and you go and you extract uh, oil or you extract a metal from that mine. In Arabic, you can refer to both as al-ma'dan. Okay, so the Imam says that this person has become that source, the mine from which you take your religion, right? فَهُوَ مِنْ مَعَادِنِ He becomes one of the sources of religion. وَأَوْتَادِ أَرْضِهِ And one of the anchors of his earth or his land. وَآخَرُ And this is a contrast and this is what I wanted to bring your attention to. This is the end part of, the, of this sermon. And then the Imam says, that was one description and I didn't read the whole thing. I just jumped to different parts. And then the Imam is going to contrast this person that he just described with وَآخَرُ Who is this other and there's another, while the other, the other kind of man, the one who is lacking sincerity. And they may carry knowledge. And you'll see the Imam is specifically talking about knowledge. This person carries knowledge, which means that the previous person was also carrying knowledge. But the, here the Imam is going to show how these two people are different. Okay, so he says, وَآخَرْ While the other kind of man, قَدْ تَسَمَّ عَالِمًا وَلَيْسَ بِهِ Someone who calls themselves, he has called himself a scholar, called himself a alim, but he is not a alim. The Imam is giving a very clear, confident uh, declaration about this person. This person is not a alim. You cannot call this person a alim. Al-Qabas in Arabic is what? Is when you have a fire and you go bring a stick to it to take a bit of that fire. Some of that flame goes on that stick, for instance. That's called a qabas Right? In the Quran, it's used and elsewhere. Iqtabasa, he has taken a little bit of, you know, he went and brought his stick. Iqtabasa, jaha ila min juhal. 
He went and he acquired, you know, he put his stick near the, the spire to glean, to take over what jaha'il, ignorances in the plural, jaha'ila min juhal, from those who are ignorant. Of course, if he did that, it means that he thought he was getting knowledge from scholars. Imam here, he calls all of this ignorance. He has acquired ignorances from ignorance. Remember when we talked about ilm, from, uh, about knowledge in Islam and aql, we said that the way we contrast them, typically, we look at knowledge as something you have and jahl as something you don't have. It's a lack of something. There's something that exists that is called knowledge, this information that you acquire. And if you do not have that information, you don't acquire that information, that's jahl. But we said the true way that Islam uses it is not to say there is something that exists and something that does not exist. It's not a existence and lack of, lack of existence. Why? Because the Imam would not be able to say here that he has acquired. You don't acquire a non-being. You don't acquire a non-existent. This person went and learned. And the Imam refers to all of that information they learned as Jaha'il. Right? He has gained ignorance, but in the plural, ignorances from ignorance. People who are also ignorant. But obviously they know something, they're sharing it, they're teaching it to others. The Imam calls them ignorance. That's the jahl that we've been talking about, right? To contrast those two types of jahl. So it's not about having or not having the information. That's what we've been trying to highlight. So the Imam says he has gleaned or he has collected ignorances from ignorance. And he has gleaned or he has captured or acquired misguidances from those who are misguided. He has set for the people traps made of ropes of deceit. And the things that he teaches, that, that he spews, that he utters, this person are fraudulent speech. So this is what this person is going to use to basically catch people. Right? The Imam says that he's using this as a trap. This trap is made of ropes. And the ropes are fraudulent speech and haba'ila ghurur, deception, deceit. This is what this person is using to catch the easy prey, right? Those who are willing to listen. He interprets the book based on his opinions, the Quran. He interprets the book based on his views. And he has folded the truth based upon his own ahwa, his own whims, his own passions. He makes people feel safe from the greater sins. And he makes light for them the serious crimes. And of course, this is an easy way to become popular and to get fans, 
right, to uh, become this uh, overly positive uh, person that will uh, constantly show that those things that are dangerous or those things that are unpleasant or those things that are not interesting to people, whatever they may be, those are the things that we don't need to worry about and we focus only on the things that are you know, nice and cool and popular and attractive and so on and so forth. يَقُولُوا أَقِفُ عِنْدَ الشُّبُهَاتِ This person says, whenever I am faced with ambiguities, with doubts, with confusions, I stop. وَفِيهَا وَقَعَ When this person has actually fallen into these shubuhat. So he has fallen into them. And of course, when this is done, it means, you know, I'm so pious. Uh, I'm someone who is, takes so many precautions in these matters that I avoid and I stay away from you know, these things that are ambiguous. I only talk when there are things that are clearly black and white and well-known and I don't engage in those things that are not clear. And yet the Imam says this person has already fallen in all of those. He is in them right now. And he says, or he claims, to abstain from innovations, from bringing huge changes to religion. Right? And this person is actually lying in between these innovations that he says, I abstain from. And again, please remember all of our discussions about this, about humanity and what it means and so on and so forth. See the theme that comes back again and again. The Imam says, The image, the shape, is the shape of a human being. And but the heart is the heart of an, a beast or an animal. He does not recognize the door of truth or the gate of truth or guidance, the gate of guidance, so that he may enter it or he may follow it. And he does not recognize a door of blindness, the Imam said, basically misguidance, so that to avoid it or to prevent people from entering. Yasud could be myself not going in or preventing others from going in. If you remember, we had a huge discussion about this. And again, it, bring, it comes back to the notion that we just talked about earlier. What is your true life as a human being? The end of all of this that the Imam just said, this whole description, the end result, he says, and that person is the one who is dead, living. Dead among the living. Anyone who looks at him would say, this person is alive. From all those who are alive, and this person looks like they are alive, they're actually dead. Why? Because even though, in this case, at least this person has gone and learned and acquired this knowledge, at the end of the day, this was just misguidance and things that bring you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in the first case, the emphasis that we wanted to do is all based on the intention. Why are you going to learn? And the Imam gave us in the first uh, report from Imam Ali alayhi salam, the Imam was talking and contrasting between those people. In this one we saw that it is possible for you to go and learn but this learning that you're getting, this knowledge, this information that you're getting is bringing you away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What you're doing with it within religion is to reinterpreting religion, innovating in religion, creating your own version of religion 
And at the end of the day, even when there is truth, you stay away from it, you prevent others from going to it, and so on and so forth. Okay, so I thought I would at least make sure that those two reports or those two narrations are with you, uh, since we are talking about knowledge and it's kind of difficult to talk about knowledge in Islam and not talk about these two big reports, they're very well known. So I thought that I would at least share them with you. Uh, and as I said, uh, inshallah, in the future, we are going to come back to some parts of these and spend a little bit more time on them, uh, especially when it comes to choosing the teacher and what it means, because we have a lot of description and some traits here related to those who carry knowledge and how they fall into all sorts of different categories. So therefore, you know, f for me, when I want to come and learn knowledge now, having all of this in mind, I'm going to be a lot more careful. Where do I go? Where do I acquire that knowledge? After, of course, having examined my own intentions when I want to approach knowledge. So with all of that said, uh, our plan or our intention now is to move to the slightly more general understanding of intention and sincerity in Islam. So this is now a broader discussion, not limited to knowledge. Of course, it applies to knowledge. But this is where we said we're going to kind of take a, not a break, uh, but use this as an opportunity since we're talking about intention and sincerity to see, generally speaking, what Islam says about these notions. So in the next uh, few minutes that we have before the, the course ends, or the lecture ends, um, let me start at least by uh, giving you a bit of a map of where we're going with this topic, a couple of lectures on this topic. Inshallah, and then we'll start with the narration. So, we want to understand, generally speaking, the meaning of this intention and sincerity by looking at different descriptions given to us. So, by looking at these descriptions, we understand what is, generally speaking, how does Islam present these notions to us? The notions of niyyah, intention, and the notion of ikhlas, sincerity. And part of what we'll try to do today, we'll see if we have time, is to also see that, as with everything else that we've ever talked about in Islam, you'll see that there's a huge spectrum. There's always a minimum, a minimal threshold that allows you to say, for instance, I am Muslim or I have faith. But then that spectrum, how high you can go, I'm not going to say it's infinite, but it is huge. So it's just so that we appreciate where we can potentially go with these notions of intention and purifying our intentions and sincerity. So we'll, take, we'll look at some hadith in that regard, so that's something we aspire to and work towards. We will make sure that the link between knowledge, action, and intention, since this is how we structured the entire series, is very clear. So we, we will, instead of making it up, the promise is we take it from the hadith, and we will see how this is laid out in the hadith very clearly, that those notions are dependent upon each other. The notion of knowledge, action, and intention. We already saw some hadith in this regard. We'll look at a few more. We will look at a number of hadith that are very clear in that when it comes to action and intention, intention is more important than action. Okay? Then after that, 
we will also look at a hadith that say that quality is always better than quantity from an Islamic perspective. And so, of course, what gives an action its quality? It's going to be the intention behind it. That's what makes it better. Okay? Uh, and then we're going to see hadith that are not only going to say that the intention is better than the action. We're going to see a hadith that say that the intention is all that matters. Almost as though the action does not even matter anymore, if you have the right intention. Okay, we will see examples of that. And then we will, uh, in that uh, next group of hadith, we will look at examples that may not be intuitive. When we say intention or we when we say someone is supposed to act, because we're going to see that all of these are always talking about the same things. What we're trying to do is to expand these notions to our realities and the way we live, the realities of our lives today, me and you, right? So we'll see, is there any room for that or not in these ahadith? When they say intention, when they say sincerity, can we apply these notions to the rest, the other dimensions of our lives, or is it really just limited to, let's say, religious knowledge? Okay, that's what we want to do here. In the next section, we will look at, um, we'll see how much time we spend on this because it could be, be a, a bigger section, looking at the different consequences of these intentions and sincerity. And the consequences, once you are actually sincere in everything you're doing, and everything you're doing, there is a true sincere intention behind it, it has repercussions on your life in this world and in the afterlife. So we will look at both. And then uh, I think the last section I had here was uh, some hadith that give us an indication, some clues on the how. What are some of the ways that we can really work on improving the intention and improving the sincerity? So that's kind of the, the plan or, or the map. Uh, of where we're going so that we don't get lost. It's really separated in sections this way and grouping the hadith together. So let's start from the beginning. Um, we said that we will go through a number of narrations. This is kind of always the, I call that the intellectual warm-up, to throw these notions at you to get you really thinking about. Uh, and usually this is where I go get the much shorter hadith. There's a lot in them. And the later hadith are going to expand on these, but now you will have touched on a lot of notions in a broad sense, although very shallow. Okay, so we have a hadith here from Imam Ali السلام, a number of them. He talks about ikhlas. He says, Al-ikhlas ashrafu nihayah. Sincerity is the most honorable of ends. So it could also be sincerity is the most honorable of uh, purposes or objectives could also be nihayah as in your end, you know, the end of your life. If you end it on a high note, on a note of, uh, you know, a good intention or sincere intentions, then great. So that's the greatest thing that you could achieve, right? Another hadith from Imam Ali salam, al-ikhlas ghayatuddin. Sincerity is actually the purpose of religion, to achieve sincerity, to achieve ikhlas. So this is a very 
uh, deep notion if it's well understood the imam saying the entire purpose the objective of the entire religion ghayat al-deen al-ikhlas another narration al-ikhlas ibadatu so al-ikhlas is a form of worship okay but this is not given to everyone al-ikhlas ibadatul muqarrabin those who are close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their form of worship to God is through sincerity. These are two different notions. One of them is to say, I act and my action has sincerity. The Imam here is saying their very intention, their very sincerity itself is the, the, the highest form of worship. The worship of those who are closest to God is sincerity. Sincerity itself, not the action that is sincere. Okay? Another hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, Al-Ikhlas milaku al-ibadah. Sincerity is the objective, is the desired benefit from worship. I'm intentionally going through different narrations. Some of them talk about religion. Some of them talk about worship. Some of them talk about faith. Well, we're going through uh, a number of them. Al-Ikhlas milaku al-ibadah. So, in other words, you could say that why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or why does reason and rationality push a human being to worship, instruct a human being to worship? Here the Imam is giving us an answer. It's to achieve a rank, a position, a state of sincerity. Okay? Al-Ikhlas, Imam Ali alayhi salam here says, Al-Ikhlas a'la al-Iman. The upper limit, the highest level of faith, of belief, is sincerity. So this already tells us that there are many different levels of faith, and that what distinguishes people into different ranks is their level of sincerity. Al-ikhlas shimatu afadil al-nas. Shima is, is a, it could be a habit or a trait with which you recognize people. Al-ikhlas shimatu afadil al-nas. The best of people, the most noble or the most favored of people, their trait is ikhlas. And this can be interpreted in different ways. We can interpret it in the religious, spiritual sense. We could also interpret it in the social sense, right? Someone who has sincerity, someone who is devoted to you, a devoted friend, for instance, a sincere friend. Imam says this is only the trait of the best of people that you can actually say they have ikhlas, okay? In another hadith, the Imam says, في إخلاص الأعمال تنافس أولي النهى والألباب. There's a competition going between those people who are أولي النهى والألباب. The Holy Quran uses this term أولي النهى لأولي النهى in Surah Taha. أولي النهى are basically those who have intellect, endowed with intelligence. أولي النهى والألباب, endowed with intelligence and Reflection. So he says sincerity 
في إخلاص الأعمال in their actions تنافسوا إلى النهى والألباب those who are people endowed with intelligence and with reflection their area of competition where they're competing is at the level of sincerity of their actions not in the actions themselves and the sincerity in their actions in a hadith from I'll skip this one I'll come back to it from the Holy Prophet he says بالإخلاص تتفاضل مراتب المؤمنين it is sincerity that differentiates between the ranks of the believers you want to have a higher rank than your brothers and sisters who are also believers this is how you acquire it through sincerity and another hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam he says very important hadith and we'll come back to these notions later yaqeen is certainty where there is no longer any doubt he says the purpose of certainty is to achieve sincerity is to achieve ikhlas this makes gains a lot more depth Islamically if you understand the place of yaqeen in the Quran where the Holy Quran is constantly saying that the purpose from your creation and the reason why we gave you religion and the reason why we instruct you to worship is so that you reach the level of certainty the rank of certainty the state of certainty all of these work one way to understand it is to say until that thing which is inevitable which is death you worship your God until you reach death or you worship your God until you reach certainty until there is no longer any doubt until you are firm and clear this is the point of your worship one verse says ma khalaqtul jinna wal ins illa liya'budun I've, I have only created humankind and the jinn so that they may worship. And then you go to this verse and it says, and keep worshipping until you reach yaqeen. And here Imam Ali says, and ghayatul yaqeen. And if you want to reach the upper limit of yaqeen, al-ikhlas. The purpose of yaqeen is to finally achieve ikhlas. So that we understand when we say ikhlas, where it is in the, the big system of Islam. How high we are now. And that's why we're going to see in a lot of the narrations that talk about ikhlas, there is an admission. Clearly it is presented as something that is not easy. And we already started seeing that in some of the ahadith. First of all, this is the area not where everyone is competing. No, no. Only those who are the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is how they distinguish themselves. So that's one way to look at it. Other ahadith are clearly going to say that this is only something, this is a ikhlas as a secret from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He gives in secret to some people. Why? Because their attachment to God is not public. Because it's sincere. So it's in secret. So they get that secret back from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They have an intimate relationship with God that is hidden from everyone. 
but you're getting something, this ikhlas, this spiritual discipline, purifying your intentions, is going to lead to having a different kind of relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this will come out in many of the ahadith. Okay, so this will be a theme. But all of this is based on a foundation that this is not going to be given to everyone. This is going to be requiring a lot of work. This is difficult. But the repercussion, the, the, the consequence of it, the conclusion of it, is that it's very much worth it. This is what will get you in the elite class of believers. This is what brings you to the another level of belief. This is not the belief of the commoners. You're competing with the best of the best of God's creation here when you're starting to look at ikhlas, when you're really focused on the intention behind every action. It's not just, you know, God says pray, so I pray. Why am I praying? What's my intention behind this prayer? And the more you are aware, not only in general, you're going to see that in the hadith, not only in general, but in every instant, this is where you have this consciousness and awareness that it's not from time to time I have sincerity. From time to time, I think about my intentions. It's constantly looking at your intentions. You're constantly in a state of examining what is my intention here. Okay? So I think I'm going to stop here. Um, and inshallah, where we continue is to start showing this, we called it the, the very wide or broad spectrum of the uh, sincerity or intention. So I think we all know what a good intention is or a pure intention is, but what does it look like? And so we're going to start seeing some hadith that give us examples of what this would look like on a day-to-day. What does it mean that someone is going to be truly sincere and with good intentions when, whether it's about knowledge or life in general? Okay, so inshallah we'll continue with that. Wassalamu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tahirin. That's it for today. No second lecture, so completely open to a discussion, questions. We've had a few of those, uh, so I there's plenty to talk about, plenty of events going on too. Um, but I think we've been covering a lot of uh, subject matter and we haven't really had many chances to discuss any of it over the past little while. Uh, so the last few lectures, as you remember, were really focused on uh, the notion of intention, not learning, for instance, to flaunt or to argue or for worldly reasons or so on and so forth. And we're not entirely done with that. You will see some uh, references to those uh, notions a little bit later. We'll come back to that. Um, but I think generally speaking, it's uh, been pretty clear. So uh, in any case, I just want to make sure that um, I wrote a, a little note for myself or where we start uh, stopped. Uh, but generally speaking, I'm all ears or questions, concerns, comments about anything that we've discussed today or that we've been discussing over the past few times. Uh, we said previously that the purpose of the, or, or the way that the believers are ranked is through knowledge and uh, happiness. But today we saw hadith that said it's, um, it's through sincerity. So do these things uh, compete with each other or, or do they go hand in hand? I'm just wondering if there's a relation between them. So it's a really good question. Um, 
do you remember the uh, logic that we gave to the structure that we're following right now? Yeah. So why are we talking about intention? How, how does intention fit in the big... We're talking about knowledge. The theme is knowledge. And now somehow we, we ended up talking about intention. Why are we talking about intention? Because for knowledge to be considered Islamic, uh, intention is, is an important ingredient. So, ikhlas or sincerity is intention. Okay, those two are the same, right? Intention is general, but sincerity is, you know, the specific form of intention we're, we're looking for. So, th does that answer the question? Yeah. So are they competing? No. To, to be fully Islamic, this knowledge has to be sincere. So now we're looking at the sincere part, and you're going to see it in the hadith. It will be laid out explicitly. I'm not making any of this up. If you know, if you go through enough hadith, you will find these in the hadith themselves. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, Because yes, just like you know the example we just gave, you, you may have some verses of the Quran that say, you know, the whole point is to worship. So someone says, you know, the point of your existence is worship. You have another verse that says, the point is yaqeen. Okay, so is yaqeen competing with worship? So what if I achieve yaqeen without worship? Is that possible? What if I worship without yaqeen? Is that better? Or So this is where the logic and the structure becomes important. And you have to really look at the notions and how they fit into each other. Or which ones are conditions of which, which ones are causes to which. And some of them are, are not that straightforward. <laughs> I will concede to that. Yeah. It's interesting that uh, we worship to achieve certain people, or, or we worship to achieve good intentions, but or worship to count to these good intentions. So, I don't know. It, it was just something that was interesting to me. I guess you, if you don't have the intentions at first, should you force yourself to go into worship just so that you can develop those intentions? So this is, uh, again, a very good question. Um, so if you do not have the right intentions for worshipping in general, and our discussion was not worship, but it's because now we opened it up, right? So now we're talking about intentions and in everything, including worship. So if the intention is not there when you start, um, what do you do? And this is, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time on this. If it's not about sincerity or wasting your time, you're going in the wrong direction and so on and so forth. And we already saw a lot of that when we talked about knowledge. That if this knowledge is not with the right intentions and this is going to be used against you. And we even saw a, a narration from the Holy Prophet in which he says, maybe this person should not be learning <laughs> at all because this is going to only lead to their embarrassment and shame in this world and the next, right? So does anyone remember the answer? This is a good question. I remember like once when he talked about worship, but then like if you want to feel more at ease, let's say for example when you're praying, when you're fasting, when with any like with any kind of worship, um, then that ease slash I guess pure like pure intention would come from knowledge. Um, the more knowledge you acquire about it, the more um, I guess you, the, the, the better of an intention you have to do it. And the, like let's say if, if you don't, you know, you go up to prayer, you don't feel at ease or any, any, any kind of worship. You don't, 
like within yourself feel at ease doing that. Um, so I guess acquiring the knowledge to get that, that's how it kind of would lead you to, to have it. It was what we discussed last time. So in, in a way that is the answer. The answer was that if we look at all of these hadith um, and we want to be realistic, I don't think any of us can say that the day I first come to knowledge or I first come to religion, I'm going to do it with the most sincere of intentions. And in fact, some of the hadith that we just looked at should prove that. When this is the area of competition of the best of God's creatures, and here I am, little nobody, coming in expecting to have you know the most sincere of intentions in acquiring this knowledge. And that's why we saw a few ahadith that we said, if we're not careful, when we look at them, they seem to be contradicting the others. They were openly saying those ahadith we looked at in the last time we met. We called it a, a caveat. Those ahadith are basically saying, if someone is not coming with the right intentions, this should not prevent them from learning, because if they learn the right thing, that knowledge is going to work on them, affect them, and with time, they will have the right intention. How can you have the right intention if when you first came to the knowledge, you did not know that you're supposed to have the right intention? So of course, most likely, when you come to the knowledge at first, you're doing it for all the worldly reasons that a human being might want to learn anything. It's after you've gained that knowledge, it's after you understood the importance of intention and sincerity and discipline and spiritual discipline. What are you doing about it now? And that's why we said that in a lot of the teachings in Islam, this applies to intentions and, and sincerity for sure, but it applies to everything in religion. You'll see that there's a huge spectrum and there are conditions and sometimes they're quite difficult, especially when it comes to things that are spiritual. So does it mean that if I look at it and I see that it's something demanding and I may not be, you know, I don't have this type of strength today, this type of ability, this type of discipline to meet this criteria, does it mean I give up? Does it mean that, say, this is not for me and I should therefore just go in another path? And we said, absolutely not. That's never what we're saying. First, you have to know. You have to know which is the path you're following. And there's only two paths in this world. In your existence, in this world, you have two paths. And you can't see them in this world. You only see them in the afterlife. There's Jannah and there's not. Okay, so you end up eternally happy or eternally unhappy. No matter what you're doing, at the end, you can reduce it, you can simplify it to Jannah and Nar. It's a step. Every action, every decision, every non-action, everything you say, everything you do is a step in one direction or in another direction. So if that is the case, then if I understand that this is generally speaking the direction I'm supposed to be following because the other one should not even be an alternative, it should not even be an option now that I understand, then I should never be saying but it looks a little bit difficult, so I may maybe go in the other way. You can't do that. Even though it may be difficult, even though there may be some conditions and there it might be thorny. The Holy Quran says, 
it tells the believers, and sometimes you wish that the path that does not have any thorns was your path, was the road that Allah is asking you to follow. You would hope, you would wish sometimes that you're believers, but you're hoping that the road that you have to walk is the road that doesn't have any thorns. But that's not how it works, Allah says. No, you're asked to walk a difficult path with thorns on it. That's the whole point. That's why you get reward. Because you go through difficulties. That's where you show discipline and strength and where people compete and may the best win based on that discipline and based on that effort and energy and sincerity. You can't consider all of these people the same. And so, is it difficult? Yes, it's, it might be difficult. But is it difficult to the point where you say, maybe this is not for me? Well, if you understand that the only other option is to go the other way, hell, to start taking steps towards hell, then know that this is the only way. So yes, sometimes the, the speech might be difficult to take and the conditions might be difficult to uh, put in practice for us. But this only means that the, uh, the, the, the spectrum, as we have been calling it, is infinitely large. It's up to you. You want to go for the minimum, then okay, fine, that's, that's what you're happy with, so long as you keep walking in that direction. But know that, you know, you always have the ability to go much more. And it's not because out of laziness, out of lack of discipline, out of weakness, whatever it may be, that you don't have that today, what it takes to go to the next level today, that you say, I go the other way. No, no, you can't go the other way. The other way is never an option. I will not learn because I don't feel like my intentions are entirely pure. They will become. Keep learning because not learning is not an option. I'm not sure if my prayer is for all the right reasons. I'm not sure. You cannot. Go, the other way is not an option. So you have to continue in this way. And you will see that again with sincerity as well. You will see that with the how. We said we're going to keep it at the end. But when we're going to go through the hadith that explain to us. And how do you achieve that sincerity? Through worship itself. And that's the example you gave. Someone who says, well, maybe my worship when I pray, my prayer is perhaps not for all the right reasons. Well, the way to deal with it is keep worshiping. The worship itself, eventually there will be a click and the worship itself will fix you. There were people who would come to the imams and they would ask these things. You know, there's someone who commits these sins. Someone in my family, he just keeps doing this sin. He tells the imam. So, and he also prays and he does these other very good things so what should I do the imam only tells him make sure that he doesn't stop praying that's it the prayer itself will fix him if he's really praying and maintaining that prayer the prayer will fix him the problem is usually when you're bringing in all these other factors the prayer will disappear so that's why the imam tells him, well, can you ensure to me that the prayer will remain there? The prayer will improve and will improve you and will improve your state and your thinking and your sincerity. Don't take it away. Stick with it. But it, it requires a discipline. It, it requires a recognition that there's effort required. What's rewarded is your effort going through that. So that's a, a really good question. And that's what we talked about. So if anyone wants that hadith that go with that, that was... Uh, in our last 
lecture, I think we called it a caveat, or uh, we spent a little bit of time going through the hadith that we said, now that if we understand this framing properly, then we look at these hadith because otherwise it would look like these hadith are contradicting the other ones. The hadith that basically say, even if you do not have the right intention when you first learn, the knowledge itself will work on you and provide that sincerity with time. But you have to want that. It won't happen on its own. And that's the entire reason why we talked about the examples of the people at the time of the Holy Prophet or throughout history or living today who come to Islam, for instance, to refute it and to write books against it and to create political parties against it. And suddenly, the world changes and these people who are supposed to be gaining this knowledge, I'm going to study Islam in order to refute it, this knowledge works on me and now suddenly I become a Muslim, I convert to Islam and I start calling people to Islam myself. So what happened? It's the knowledge and there was a spark, a, a glimpse, a glimmer of good in this person. That they were open to actually look at things objectively. They let it affect them. They were not entirely blocking it. Right? So inshallah we, we continue on that. But I, I think this is probably a, a line of questioning that is going to stay with us throughout the entire series. Because it's not easy. The, the whole notion of intention and constantly having to examine your intention. But that's the purpose. The whole purpose from this and spending time on this is, this is something we don't do. And, and we're going to come back to that, inshallah. Especially, there's a reason why we're spending time on intention and sincerity before action. It's not that we're really good at action either. But when any of us has any effort to put in, we're usually focused on the amal. We're usually focused on, okay, let me go act. Finally, I'm you know, get, getting off the couch. <laughs> I will do something about it, so I'm going to act. So even when there is a little bit of effort that we're putting out, it's usually directly going to action. We're skipping a step. So we want to make sure that at the end of this, that, that, skip, that step is no longer skipped, ever. It's going to be hammered into us, hardwired into us. And, and in examining intention and sincerity will be part of how we view everything. It's, a, it's absolutely a fact that usually when people, as they acquire knowledge, it's not that it leads to doubts, uh, but usually knowledge leads to more questions. 
Uh, and the issue is sometimes when you look for those answers, when you have those questions and you look for those answers, you don't find something convincing. And sometimes this leads you to go back and question something else that you learned before, and so on and so forth. Yeah, so the question is sometimes when we learn, as we learn more, um, it leads to doubts, it leads to questions, it leads to criticism. Uh, and um, where do we know, you know, how do we decide where to draw the line? Because sometimes we may end up actually losing the things, the good things that we had, uh, and we may end up uh, entirely uh, in the wrong way, in the wrong path, right? It depends how far you want to go with that. Um, so I'm going to give two, two pieces of uh, answers here, and there are no, no, um, no guarantees to, to the answer. Um, but I can certainly say that there are two components to this that are extremely important. If we look at the notion of doubt itself, uh, sometimes we think that our religion is entirely against doubt and that we're not allowed to doubt, we're not allowed to question, we're not allowed to criticize. Uh, that's absolutely not true. Uh, in our religion, there is plenty of room, plenty of space to ask questions and doubt uh, and, and not be sure of things. But there's a condition to this. It's that you cannot remain in that state. This has to be an intermediary step to something else. Every human being will go through a stage of questioning and doubting, and that is fine, so long as this is a bridge to, therefore, I will go and research and look up and find the truth. And I need to find the truth. I can't just live in limbo. Okay, so the things that I'm looking for, are they important? Do I need to know these things or are they, you know, things that have absolutely no answer or if there is an answer, it may be very difficult for me to achieve and it's not that relevant. Ultimately, what we're talking about, if, if you know, the, the, the discussions have been clear until now, at the end of the day, we're interested in our eternal salvation. I'll give you an example today. There are people who may spend years of their time discussing things that are, let's say it's a, you know, there's a, a, a disagreement about a matter in history. And you have historians who say the event happened in this way, other historians, group B, who say the event happened in that way, and maybe a third group that says the event did not even happen at all. And then all of the ramifications of that. The question is, does this, this, this knowledge specifically, is it going to affect my eternal salvation or not? Does knowing this change my belief? Does it change my who I am? Does it change my intentions? Does it change my spiritual state? Is this what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask me whether I was a good person or not in the afterlife or not? If these are a matter of theoretical knowledge, well, scholars will always agree on theoretical, disagree on theoretical knowledge. They will have different points of view. Each one is working with their own tools with their own epistemological or heuristic tools, as they call them in research, and reaching their conclusions. And there is no guarantee that two or ten scholars will reach the same conclusion. Ten scholars, you may get ten different answers, or two different answers, or one. But there's no guarantees. What really matters is, what is your intention from this? When you're learning this, does it affect you or not? And this brings me to the other question. So there is a component to this where you have to be introspective. When I'm doubting and questioning something, how much energy and time should I be putting on this? 
Am I questioning the existence of God? Well, I'm going to say put all of your energy there and you need to resolve this one very quickly. If I'm discussing and questioning and doubting something, you know, a detail in history, maybe this is secondary because I probably have some things that are much more of a priority for me and in my life today. Unless I'm being a historian and my entire belief system somehow is resting on this one little historic detail. Okay? Which brings us to the other component of this. So let's call the first component, consider it the introspective, uh, psychological, and spiritual. That's the first dimension of this. I do it for the right reasons, my priorities are uh, good, and uh, I'm only really focused on the things that really matter to me. That's one. The second component to this is, and this is a huge problem in general in the world, especially now with how easy knowledge is and access to information is, and in our community specifically, and this is the lack of um, structure or formal education when it comes to things we're talking about religion about religion you will have someone for instance who knows a little bit about you know they've heard a couple of lectures on akhlaq and they so they know about maybe one of the faculties of the soul and they've listened to 30 lectures on irfan and mysticism and gnostic and what the gnostics and islam think they've studied a little bit they know about rumi and ibn arabi and so on and so forth and they know a few chapters of islamic history but they're not sure who says what and which historian is of what opinion and so on. and they know some stuff in aqaid but they're not really sure of how these fit in they think they for instance they might believe in imama but they don't know the proofs for it they believe in prophethood but not really as part of a sequence that is logical, a logical conclusion from Tawheed and the attributes of God that must lead to prophethood and so on and so forth. It's bits and pieces. It's hits and misses. This is a huge problem that will only, and I guarantee this, that will only generate doubts that are very difficult to resolve. If you are interested in resolving your doubts in religion, you need to study religion systematically. You need to start from the beginning. If you haven't studied Islamic beliefs, you need to start first by understanding, not refuting, not knowing, you know, do you agree or not agree? Put that aside for now. Just understanding, when you say someone is a Muslim, what do they believe? Do you know the entire list of things that go into that belief? Do you understand the difference between beliefs and, for instance, the practical aspects of religion, the fiqh, the legal aspects? So, you know, that you pray, that you fast, these are not beliefs. These are the derivatives of your beliefs. These derive out of a belief. Because I, my belief is not in prayer. I don't believe in prayer. I believe in God. And I believe in a type of God who would send a religion to human beings. And I believe that he sent this specific religion that tells me I'm supposed to pray in this way. Oh, that's why I pray. That's why I, why I wear the hijab. That's why I, why I fast in the month of Ramadan. If I have not gone to the sources, if the fundamentals are not clear to me, and I just jump from one religious topic to another, I will only end up with doubts. Because there is no logical structure to religion in my mind. Right? So I have questions about history, I have questions about, you know, the manner in which some people behave. I have, well, the manner in which every human being behaves is based on their belief system. 
Let's talk about the belief system. Do we agree on the same belief system or are there issues there? Are there differences? Can we reach a conclusion and agreement on what those are? And what is your argument for your belief system? And this is my argument for my belief system. This means that there's a structure in place. So I study religion, I don't jump from one thing to another. You don't start by studying religion by studying fiqh. Some people do that. They haven't studied beliefs. They don't understand God and prophethood and religion and revelation and that there's an afterlife. They haven't studied any of that, but now they're studying the minute details of, you know, if you have doubt between the fourth and the fifth ruk'ah of a prayer. And now they have questions about prayer. And because they don't, they don't find an answer to that, they think there's a problem with religion. Well, you haven't studied it in the right sequence. If you study religion in the right sequence, you're probably going to deal with those more fundamental issues that are leading to the issues that you're now encountering. That should only happen much later. And if they do, it will have no effect on your beliefs. Because you understood the beliefs as beliefs. And now you understand that this is a a historical disagreement or a disagreement in the different theories of akhlaq, it doesn't really lead to a major you know, crisis of faith that a lot of people have. And so a lot of these, when people are faced with, you know, I'm gaining knowledge and the knowledge is going to lead to, because of the knowledge I have, I'm going to be more critical, I'm, I'm going to have doubts, I'm going to be asking questions. Well, if the questions are bringing you back to things that are supposed to be more fundamental, I would argue that you probably have a lack in your first, the elements that you should have first learned, the education system or curriculum that you followed brought you to this. Now you're in grade six math and you're dealing with issues that are being presented to you. You should have dealt with those in grade two or three, but you never did. And now suddenly you think that there's a whole a huge problem with all of math because you didn't learn the right things when you were in grade two or three. And this is only a consequence or a result, or a derivative of what you should have learned a while back. And so this is one of the big problems that we have, is that people here listen to certain things, and because of that, it triggers all sorts of questioning, a huge line of questioning, because they haven't really spent the time to understand those things as where they fit in religion. And so you think that something that is, you know, is supposed to be secondary or tertiary that should come much later, you're considering that very fundamental in religion, when it's not. This is not what religion is about. You're allowed to question that. In fact, there are things that people argue as though there is an ultimate truth about them when there isn't. Religion has not said, you know, this is the way to do certain things. And we will talk, inshallah, about that in the next series when we're going to start talking about the political systems and the social systems and the economic systems does Islam say this is the way to do it and if you are not then you are a disbeliever and may you rot in hell forever? Or did it say here are all sorts of principles, universals in religion, and so long as you respect these general boundaries, you can go do whatever you want within that. Just stay away from the red lines. Tilka hududullah. Understand them? These are the borders that Allah put in. So long as you do not approach these, not only trespass them, do not even get close to them so that you're not tempted, so that you don't slip. So, so long as you remain within those, then go create any economic system you want. Go create any social system you want. There is no prescribed way of doing it. And you see people 
arguing and you know going back and forth as though there is the way of it's because you have failed to understand when you fall into this you fail to understand where this fits into the big network of things that we call religion and so you're taking something that is more of a detail or something that comes later in your beliefs you're considering that something much more fundamental and because there's a disagreement then that is making you question everything right so this is an excellent question a huge topic uh, and inshallah as the series go on we're gonna have uh, a lot of opportunities to to question and think about this but inshallah with these two uh, notions that the first of of which is make sure that what you're pursuing is actually relevant to you and that it makes sense and those things that are perhaps not relevant to your what we called your eternal salvation those things are secondary and so get to them when you get to them but understand where they fit in your priorities and then secondly if you are serious about these issues and you're not just looking to put a quick label uh, out of laziness or whatever uh, on something then you need to study those religious things properly and formally in religion and where they fit <coughs> make sure that <coughs> you're not studying something that is secondary or you know a detail in religion and considering that as though it's something extremely fundamental and if there's disagreement or doubt about it then your entire religion collapses okay so that was an excellent question related to a very important passage from this uh, saying from Imam Ali salam to Kumail so excellent remark thank you for that any other questions comments Yeah, so the question is, uh, we've been talking about the wrong reasons to apply knowledge, uh, to learn, acquire knowledge. Uh, for instance, to do it for worldly gain, <coughs> or to go and dispute and argue with those who are scholars in it, uh, or to dispute and argue with fools, uh, and so on and so forth. To flaunt it, to get uh, positions of leadership and, and, and these kinds of uh, reasons. In short, we said that clearly from the ahadith, we have to conclude that there are different types of knowledge. There are types of knowledge that are meant only for the sake of God. You learn that knowledge for God so that you get closer to God with it. So if you use those types of knowledge in this way, then you are going to be falling in those categories. What about the rest? We said this is where you have a choice to make. If you are going to treat the rest, the other types of knowledge that are not meant for God initially, th in theory, you want to learn math, you want to learn a craft, you want to you know, go learn construction, okay? You don't want to do that for God, for the sake of God. You are really learning that just to kind of make your livelihood. In, it, in itself, is there an issue with that? No. And we're not done with this topic. We're going to come back to it later and spend more time on it. And we're going to see a hadith that 
in which they come directly to the imams and ask them about this. And they say there are people who uh, are going to give a certain amount, gifts or money to people who are teaching us. Some of your followers, they tell the imams, some of your followers, this applies to them, that they are learning and then they are teaching and they are getting paid for teaching and the imams will tell them, no, you have misunderstood the meaning of these ahadith. So here's where we have to make distinctions. There is a category of knowledge that you're supposed to do for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One. The second category of knowledge, this is where you have a choice. If you don't do it for the sake of God, is there an issue? No, there is no issue. But you have missed out on a great opportunity, which is you always have the option, you always have the ability to change those other types of knowledge and make them for the sake of God too. So why not? Because otherwise, and that's why we said, at the end of the day, you're learning it, you're learning it, you're spending the time and the effort and the energy to learn those other types of knowledge too. Why don't you learn them for God as well? And try to use them with those intentions and we're gonna see, we're gonna talk about intention. If my intention from learning construction now becomes to help my community and go build for people who, if I can and wherever I can, to help people who need it more and to do whatever I can in my sphere of activity or math or history or engineering or whatever it may be, that's it. I, I'm turning this knowledge that is supposed to be only worldly, I'm turning it into a godly or an Islamic knowledge. And that's the point of talking about intention. And we said what really makes knowledge Islamic or non-Islamic is not so much the type of knowledge, the type of information that it is, as much as it is about the intention with which you're learning it and how you're using it after. And this, inshallah, will continue to become clearer and clearer with what we're going to present. But there are things that they're clearly well known from, the, from the, the angle that you're asking the question. Clearly those are supposed to be, those are meant to be for God. Clearly you're not supposed to be learning the Quran for yourself. Clearly. Clearly you're not supposed to be learning fiqh for yourself and for worldly gain. So if that's how you're using these types of knowledge, then you are falling in those categories. And that's where you have to be extra careful. If we're talking about the other types of knowledge, you're free. No one is going to force you to learn business for the sake of God or just so that you, this becomes your livelihood and you, know, you become a very respected or very powerful businessman. No issue with that. But you're losing out on an opportunity where you could turn this into something much more and we're going to see that in the hadith very shortly. The next time inshallah we meet and we talk about intention, this is, don't take it from me, take it from the ahadith. And the Holy Prophet talks to Abu Dhar, for instance, what he tells them about intention, or many of our imams. And they say, they say, everything you do, make sure there's an intention behind it. So what's your intention? And we said, intention is an action. It's an action of your spirit, but it's an action. It's a step that you're actually actively making, one direction or another. So which is it? What's the ultimate intention behind it? What are you doing with that knowledge? But to keep things simpler, yes, it depends on the type of information that it is. And there are things that are supposed to be exclusively for the sake of God. Yeah, more, more on that later too, inshallah. We're coming back to that.
knowledge when somebody is accumulating knowledge, at least hopefully trying to accumulate a vast amount of it. Um, and there's obviously different arrays of knowledge, you can say, like in politics, philosophy, whatever it is that somebody acquires. Um, after after a while, they have, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to say it, but let's say their, their mind is heavy with, with, with knowledge, the, the way um, the way that they operate now is, is very different. It's almost like they're spiritual, spiritual, if it is connected, that it's elevated to a certain degree. Um, but you have uh, the, the, the reason knowledge in, in Islam is so uh, profitable too is that you're able to uh, better worship uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, but if it's knowledge that, although it, it, it doesn't directly help you better understand how to worship Allah, but let's say uh, the, the, the reason for accumulating that knowledge is the, the good intention, but your your knowledge of how you worship Allah is increasing to a degree, but your knowledge in general is, is, is increasing, but towards the right direction. Um, in in the afterlife, does, like, does this person with the good amount of knowledge that did it for the right uh, intention still hold the same, uh, not the same, but this still does it hold a weight in front of Allah as the person that their knowledge had gave them better understanding to uh, worship Allah? Like back to the ayah, is that how to formulate the summary of the question. Um, so there's a few questions in there. The first one is, when we say knowledge is rewarded or valued in Islam, are we talking about knowledge that is leading to a better f worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And if it is not, then why waste time learning anything else if all that matters is you know the afterlife and the reward that you get in the afterlife? So in short, um, and we have partially answered this, but in short, um, first of all, it's not so much because now, although when we started talking about knowledge, and this brings us back to an earlier question, when we first started talking about knowledge, we said, the more knowledge you know, the more valued you are as a human being. But we've come a long way since then, and now we know that it's not just about the accumulation of information because in fact that could play against you. So it, it does not go without saying that just because I have accumulated knowledge, whether it is to worship God or not, just because I have accumulated knowledge, Allah will reward me. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so that's, that's a first. So first, first point, first premise is if I'm talking about knowledge that will be rewarded, 
I am also meeting the criteria that that knowledge has been acquired with the right intention. One. Two, what we just said, regardless of which other knowledge you gained, even though it's not the knowledge that seems to be directly related to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if it was gained with the right intention, then it will be rewarded as Islamic knowledge, as knowledge that will be rewarded by God. Two. Three, which we haven't talked about. So those two points should be clear. What we haven't talked about, or we have touched on indirectly, is the topic of action. So what you said is someone, or the, que the way the question is formulated is that someone is, is acquiring all these uh, non-worship related types of knowledge, um, and is there going to be any reward that goes with those types of knowledge or not? we are headed towards the topic of action. We already talked a lot about action, but we're going to drill down much further into action. Our claim is going to be, and inshallah this is what we're going to try to prove, action is not just standing up in your mihrab or in your room and praying, uh, performing your salah or performing your psalm or staying up all night. Those are the clear forms of worship that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered us. We can maybe refer to these as ritual forms of worship revealed to us directly. We have no choice and when we have a choice uh, they're prescribed in a certain way. But what about the rest? What about the manner in which you live in society? What about how you create a community or you create a society or you gain a certain position of power or not? And so on and so forth. We could go on with a huge endless list about this. What do we do about those? The, inshallah, the intention from all of this, as at the end of this series, is that it will become clear that we have no choice, because we live in this world, we have no choice but to act. And today we live in a world where you cannot act, or you cannot act effectively at least, without knowledge. And your action, no matter what it is, from our point of view, and what we're hoping to do, is that no matter what your intention, what your action is, it's actually going to be Islamic action. Whatever I'm doing is going to be Islamic. If I understand my faith and my religion as these hadith are asking me to understand it, everything I do, I will do with an intention that it is for the sake of God including when I eat, including when I sleep, including when I vote, including when I go to work, including when I buy a car, and so on and so forth. Okay, so when I say when I eat, it has to be Islamic, because my intention is Islamic. Do you think that someone who understands the economy, and who understands how goods are produced in the world, and which goods contain what, and how free trade agreements are put in place between countries, and so on and so forth, they're going to view the food that they're buying the same way as someone who does not understand a word of what I just said. And this is just the tip of the iceberg in understanding the economy related to groceries and food and cons uh, being a consumer. Of course not. So our claim here is that of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward you if you are actually meeting the two criteria. Is that knowledge 
that you're talking about that is not related to worship directly is not is that knowledge being or meeting the criteria of action or not it does it affect the way you you are in this world and you act in this world or not and two is that action coming with the right intention that this is for the sake of God to be a better human being as God wants you to be if it is then everything that you just talked about politics and philosophy and history and if it is playing a role in making you a better person to act and your intentions are good then all of that is meeting the criteria of being Islamic knowledge and you will be rewarded for it in this world and in the next world inshallah so that's a big question and inshallah we come back to that at the end of the series or as we're going along to see you know are we still on the path to trying to prove this hypothesis or this thesis that we're putting forward and we're trying to build not with any opinions from our own but only based on the narrations that were you know by the hundreds that we're going through dozens upon dozens to put this theory together and to say that this is not someone's kind of you know sitting uh, thinking all on their own this is what our religion wanted us to do and here is the the proof for it from the scripture from the holy quran and from the narrations this is what our imams taught us to do you are an active member of this world therefore you will act and the only way to act is to have knowledge because if you don't have knowledge and you're a simpleton you are being led and you are being used and any doubt will put you in a situation of crisis and you have no identity and you have no authority and you have no power so in order to create all of that you need knowledge but knowledge must lead to action and it must be done with the right intentions if you meet that then that's it you're doing the best you can in the world you're in today which is different from the world of 14 centuries ago which will be different from the world in 14 centuries but we're all doing the same thing we are dealing with the set of circumstances we have in our world today and those need to be understood they need to be studied they need to be acknowledged you know at an expert level if possible because that will allow you to act in a different way the whole point we spent so much time and i feel like sometimes i repeat it and sometimes I'm, I, I think i've said it so many times that it it becomes almost a cliche to say broken record so i don't restate it we spend a lot of time talking about the lives of the imams and understanding their political environment and understanding their cultural socio economic sometimes we haven't spent too much time on the economic dimensions we'll talk about those inshallah in the future why of course it's very nice and it creates a bond of love and intimacy with any object or with any person the more you get to know them I can't really love my Imams if I don't know them so this allows me to imagine them more to have a better picture of them and I will be more attached to them this way okay so that's one reason but the other reason is to see how they actually made their decisions in their lives they were dealing with very complex situations and they were not just kind of on the margin of society where they're just living their individual lives they're right in the middle in the, the eye of the storm as they say right in every single case of all of our imams they are very close to you know where all the action is happening at every level in society 
and yet they maneuver in a certain way and they make certain decisions what we're trying to do with these types of glimpses into their lives is to see well were these decisions just made because you know you know what the verse of the Quran says so obviously you know what you're gonna do in this situation or is there like maybe 17 or 20 layers of meaning behind what's happening here how is the Imam deciding to uh, create an alliance with a group but not another and why are these people that everybody is considering you know good and respected and so on and so forth the Imam distances himself from them and why in this case the Imam is you know uh, much more lenient with a group of his followers and in another case he's much more strict what's the difference between them and so on and so forth the more we understand these the more we see that no no this is about living in a very dynamic way with what's going on around us there's no kind of set in stone uh, code a cookie cutter uh, template that you can just apply you need to study the events What's happening in the political scene? What's happening in the cultural scene? What's the history? How do people receive certain types of messages? Who they receive it from? How do you deliver the message? Uh, what do you need to think about if you want to take this decision as opposed to another one? And when people come and they disagree, how do you deal with it? Do you change your mind or do you stick with it? And so on and so forth. And this didn't start with the Imams. The Holy Prophet lived his whole life this way. And inshallah, we have a whole series one day of going through some of these decisions from the Holy Prophet to see when, when does he decide to create an alliance and to work with other tribes and what happens if they break it and why those tribes, right? Every dimension of his life, there are decisions being made. All of this, we believe, is an application of Islamic principles. So our idea is, at the end of this, inshallah, the more knowledge we have, the more we understand we may understand the universal principle, but I can only act once I have the rest of the knowledge that I need. If I understand nothing of the political system, how am I supposed to work in it? Of course, someone who has more knowledge than me is going to be able to overpower me, use me without even my knowledge that I'm being used this way. Right? So inshallah, that's where we're headed, but uh, it'll take a little bit of the time to get there. Fadl. Um, I think it's interesting that, that the description uh, of the right kind of intention uh, that, that we kind of see again 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 and again in these uh, hadiths is uh, sincere um, and I think it's, it's interesting uh, that they describe it as sincere as opposed to something that's you know usually used to describe intention which is good because um, I think that there's there is a slight difference in the two um, for example, like we, we usually hear stories about the prophet or the imams in certain situations, like you know, if somebody comes in and insults them, um, and they they respond in a certain way. Uh, we may look at that and say, "Wow, that's that's very good." You know, we, we may not fully understand why they did it or how they did it, but we understand that there's an element of that that's good. Um, but I think the good aspect of it is the fact that they were sincere in doing it. It's not the fact that that's how they handled it. So I, I think that the, 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 the description of using the word sincere is very important because if we just go around with the intention of trying to make it, trying to be good or trying to have good intention, uh, we may not know where to draw the line or we may not fully understand what that means, but 
I think being sincere is a much easier um, form of, like, we're able to understand what that is, as opposed to trying to strive to be like the prophets or be like the imams, um, without fully being sincere, while trying to take on their actions, which we perceive as good. Um, it's a beautiful and very deep point, so thank you for that. Um, a very, very quick uh, note or remark on this, um, or maybe two. The first one is, uh, you're absolutely right, and in fact, in Arabic, the, the term uh, is a lot more powerful than we have been using in English. We focused on the English, sincere, sincere. In Arabic, it's ikhlas. And uh, the image, uh, the, the metaphor around that term and that root uh, is a lot more powerful. And it implies a lot more than just sincerity in English. Okay, so that's one, and you're absolutely right in that. The, the side remark, the side note, uh, is simply that we do have a hadith that talk about and man hasunat and and so on and so forth. Um, and I agree with you that the ikhlas is much more powerful, but also very clearly at a higher level. And we focused on ikhlas. Uh, I'm looking here at the narrations that uh, I found that had to do with husn uh, al-niyyah, and there are. Um, 33 uh, where there is some mention we're not going to go through all of them from those uh, we're probably going to go through um, 12 perhaps 10 or 12 um, about husn niyyah so it is there but there's more about ikhlas and much more description about ikhlas because it's required as opposed to husn niyyah which is you know everybody understands you know you have good intentions. Whoever has good intentions, then you know Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will reward them for their good, and it stops there. Um, so this is, I think, a very, very interesting and, and good point. And uh, intuitively, inshallah, we're aligned because that's exactly how it's structured, where we're linking the intention with ikhlas, uh, and we're focused on uh, much more ikhlas. Although at the very end, we'll come back with a few hadith about husn niyyah in general. Uh, but there's not a lot of them, and there, that's perhaps the reason why. Uh, I think Hasan Niya can leave a lot open for interpretation. Uh, when you say it's ikhlas and what type of ikhlas, which is really for God, uh, for the sake of God, then I think it closes the door, and a lot of things that are ambiguous become a lot more clear suddenly. Ahsanta. Should we say uh, ra rather than that uh, sincere intention and good intention? go as a pair of course because if can we because the the problem here is do all sincere intentions are necessarily good yes are they yeah but the opposite is not true yeah the opposite is we're saying basically that sincerity is a very specialized form is the highest form of good intention how, how can we prove that sincerity Sincere intention yeah. is necessarily good. Can you have a bad intention that is sincere? Yeah, that's my. It might be. Well, that's a question. Um, because we, we could we could all I don't know. Um, maybe here that's why I'm I'm not understanding properly the yet the ikhlas as we said in Arabic that uh, sincere is not what we think is because a lot of us like you said again 
a lot of us may say, oh, we want to have a sincere intention, but we actually say, rather, we want to have a good intention. Our my intention is good. Can we can we have a uh, can we aim to say uh, I want to have a sincere intention or to sincerely you know please God or worship God, but then our intention is not actually good. It's hard to. Uh, so in short, inshallah, we're going to go through the hadith, and in short, when we say uh, it's it's uh, we're going to see that the hadith define it in a very specific way. Ikhlas means that you are doing it with only God in your heart. Okay. And there is nothing else but God. So it becomes, you know, for people like me, impossible. Okay? It's virtually impossible to do something entirely and 100 for God, 100% for God. Okay? That's, that's the, if you want to, like, you want me to be blunt with it. So you can aspire to that. That becomes an ideal. But at the end of the day, I can't say that I'm not working for heaven or, or out of fear of hell. That's not entirely for God. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is gracious enough that He has accepted that. He says, this is good enough. I'm You're not going to work for me. So you know what? I'm going to put all of this in place so that I get you to do the right thing. I'm going to create a heaven and I'm going to create a hell because you're not just going to do that thing because you're supposed to. You're, gonna, you're not going to worship me because I'm worthy of being worshipped. You're going to worship me because I'm going to put a stick and a carrot. And either you're going to come to the stick or you're going to be afraid of the carrot. Right? So is it entirely 100% for God? The majority of us can't say that. Imam Ali can say that. Right? We can't really say that. Are my intentions good? They're amazingly good. They're very, very good. But the level of ikhlas is, is not there. Right? So when I do, so of course there is ikhlas, there is a lot in it that to the extent that I understand God and to the extent that I am attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I feel something and I have that secret intimate, you will see that this notion of sir will come back in the hadith that talk about ikhlas. Not everybody has that. Some people will live their whole lives as believers and never get that. Some people will get a few glimpses of it in their entire life. And some people have that their entire life, every single day, every single moment. Okay, so are their intentions good? Yeah, they're good. But they're not at that level where you've purified the intention, even though it is good. Have you actually been able to purify it completely and absolutely just for the sake of God? Mm. To the extent that you have, great. Otherwise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is gracious and generous and He's opened the doors wide for you and He will reward you. And all of that falls under husnan niyyah. We're trying to go even further than just husnan niyyah. So we're saying, you know, we're going to aim high and if we miss, it's going to be at least within husnan niyyah. If it's not entirely with ikhlas. And of course, inshallah, Allah accepts all of this as a certain amount of ikhlas that we have. But if we want to be technical about, and I'm, I'm using the extreme case so that the notion of ikhlas becomes clearer. Ikhlas is, you know, you put the gold in, 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 uh, in fire and you wait until all of the impurities are gone. And there's nothing left but pure gold in there. Nothing else. Is that what you're doing? When you're saying this is the, when you examine the intention for which you are doing something, is this entirely all that you find? No matter what, what it is. When you pray, when you're all alone, when there is someone, we'll go through some a few stories, and, and these stories are good, they're powerful, they always remind us 
in books of akhlaq they talk a lot about tariya and, and, and these notions that inshallah will come to them later uh, but there are some very powerful stories uh, that in fact they, they speak to all of us we all go through these things that are constantly you know bringing us back to uh, intentions that are very worldly even though the the uh, potential for us to make those actions and those things entirely for God is huge but we miss on those opportunities and we make them back to being something very worldly we want to impress so and so we want to make sure that so and so sees us and we get one more like let's publish it on online and and so on and so forth if this is something for the sake of God if this is really for the sake of God, then we will see the, the criteria. We will start. I'll, I'll put them ahead next time so that it becomes clear. This notion that you do it without any hope. Not only do you don't look forward to getting praise for what you're doing. In fact, you dislike the praise because now you feel like the intention has been mixed up. And, and the sincerity and the purity of the action has been sullied by someone else coming into your relationship between you and God, right? To praising you. It's like, I didn't do it for you. <laughs> you have someone that you're talking to and someone else comes and says, oh, I, I loved what you just did there. It's like, but I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to them. There's, a, there's an intimate relationship between us. I don't want you to come and praise. It has nothing to do with you. Everything I'm doing is, there's nothing else. There's just me and God. So ikhlas is that. To what extent can we say that when, when I pray, this is what I'm doing? Right? When I read Quran, when I attend, when I serve, when I... Everything. Okay, that's why we say it is not an easy thing to understand and much more difficult to apply. But we need to understand where our religion has set the bar so that we know what we're aspiring to. And again, the same uh, thing, the same notion that we just talked about comes back again and again. It's not because it's difficult that I give up. Right? This is not an invitation from Islam to say it's so difficult that therefore just give up now and don't waste anyone's time. No, it's the opposite. It's keep working in this way. The more you realize what's awaiting you, how much of a way you have to go, the more effort you should put in and the more you should work on you know, your discipline and understanding where you're headed. Right? And if, if you're serious, if the whole point of this world is you're in a race, you're competing, and if you want to know who are your greatest competition, well, they're described. The closest people to God, this is what they're competing for. That type of relationship with God. That type of intimacy. That type of pure relationship with God. If you're interested in winning the race, coming out at the end better than the majority of the people, being in the top percentile, top 10 percentile, top 50 percentile, then at least you know what you're competing with. Here are the tools. Here's the lay of the land. Right? And if you don't care, then that's fine too. It's, there are plenty of people who don't care. It's just, you know, you're probably not going to come in ahead of others at the end of the race. And whether you realize it or not, the race is going on right now. <laughs> every instant, every second, every day, and time will be up soon. Right? Okay. So let's stop here. وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله الطيبين الطاهرين